0: Gushing. (laughs) Excuse me. Well, good morning, everybody. And a fantastic time in God's presence this morning. Just thank you to everybody who's come and just contributed in any way, um, whether it's a word or a passage of scripture, or just your engagement in lifting your voice. Because it says we lift our voices together. It really does something. It helps everybody around about to to experience more of Jesus. And there's there's always something more of Jesus to experience, always something more. Um, So lately we've been hearing that this is a time of building and rebuilding. uh, Building up some things which are new to us. And I guess rebuilding some things which have become lost to us. Things that we want to recapture. Dan when he shared last week was exploring the theme of building and in particular emphasizing the fact that we build together and that it's important that we build together I guess it's interesting here that the word that Ray brought this morning about unity and oneness and whatever we might see when Jesus looks at us he sees unity um, he knows what we're like <laughs> he's not deceived he knows that across this planet there's all kind of Things that divide us, and yet he sees us as one, because we all together are his body, and um, the, the books, the Old Testament books of Ezra and Haggai and Zechariah, those restoration prophets, uh, when we read them, it helps us to understanding of something what it was like to rebuild <clears throat> and to build you know and there 's rejoicing and there 's weeping happen at the same time. At the week before uh, Dan was preaching, we have Mark Lawrence. And he was sharing about the table and, and the importance of gathering around the table, both a literal table, but also in a figurative sense that we, we live our lives together. We need to share our lives together rather than to live our lives isolated and separated from each other. I mean, all of this is speaking of what God wants for us, which is to live together in love. And I know that Trevor, the week before, he was talking about the importance of us being rooted and establishing in love. So, if you've got ears to hear, God is speaking to us and leading us into a particular direction. Um, we experience, or we can experience, this love together because of the love that comes from Him. You know, that's where that's the source of all love, but particularly this, that love that potentially we can have for each other is we are made alive through the giving, self-giving love of God that we can learn to give as well. We can learn to love one another well. So this morning what I particularly want to talk about is something which could potentially get in the way of that happening. In other words, something which should get in the way of us loving one another well. I think we need to be alert to it so that we can... Awareness is a big part of the solution often. If we're aware of something, then we're, we're all, all on our way to uh, dealing with it. So if you could turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 8. Look at this passage of scripture together. And I've got a number of things that I want to draw out of it. God wants us to learn to love each other well. Have you got any tissues? Mark chapter 8 verse 22. Thank you. This, uh, this is Jesus healing a man who had a problem with seeing. Okay. Changed the title slightly. A man who had a problem with seeing. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. I'd like to show you a picture. So, cue the projectionist. Can you see that? Okay. Do you know what that is? Do you know what that is? It's the moon. Yeah, it's the moon. It's—I don't. It's not really the dark side because I don't know if you're aware the sun shines on all parts of the moon, but it's the far side. The I mean, dark side of the moon is just a classic album by Pink Floyd. <laughs> this is the far side of the moon. Okay. Um, and you look at it, and you think that's probably the moon. Um, and, of course, if you're fully acquainted with the far side of the moon, then you recognize it straight away. But it's not familiar to me. There was, I don't know if you noticed there was a full moon on Wednesday night, actually. Uh, it was a bit cloudy, but it was fant- when you saw it, was, it was amazing. Can you put the second slide up, please? That's the far side of the moon next to the side we usually see. And um, it is actually quite different. Um, anybody know what year that the far side was first Photographed. It was an absolutely classic year that Brendan and Gina will, like myself, uh, celebrate greatly. Sorry, I'm giving away your age, guys. 1959, October was the first sign. It was a, a Russian spacecraft called uh, Luna 3, and it photographed the far side of the moon. It wasn't that good a resolution, I have to say. It was pretty grainy. But until that point, no human being had actually ever seen the far side of the moon. I mean, very few have actually seen it in a spacecraft, but we can obviously see the photograph of it now. And when scientists first saw it, they were surprised that it was so different to the near side because the near side has all these dark areas on it and the far side has very few of those. It's to do with volcanic activity. Once I looked up these pictures, I started reading about it and I'm in great danger of being distracted from what I'm supposed to be saying, so I'll stop there. But just Google it and read about it. It's really quite interesting why the two, the front and the back, might be different. Uh, there, there are no alien space stations on the far side of the moon. Oh, yeah. yeah, sorry to disappoint you. Unless they're hidden under the ground. <laughs> okay, thank you, Paul. What is my point? I actually put that there to make sure I return to my point. What I want to say is, we can think we're very familiar with something... And yet we don't really fully know what it looks like. Everybody knows what... the. I tried to pick something everybody would know, and I thought, well, the moon, we've all seen that. And we only get to see something else of what the moon is like when we look at it from a different position. This story where Jesus heals the the man that's blind, it really intrigues me that the first thing he did, uh, Jesus did, wasn't to heal him. It was actually to take hold of his hand and lead him out of the village. And I go, I wonder why he did that. I mean, I'm sure Jesus could have healed him where he stood and yet he wanted to, to move him somewhere else. Maybe Jesus was thinking about what would it be like when this man opened his eyes for the first time and he was conscious, well, what, what's this man going to see the first time? He opened it? I'd rather he saw the, the countryside or the lakeside rather than the village streets. Um, I don't know, it doesn't tell us, but there is something about moving your position to get a different perspective on something. And that's my first point this morning. Sometimes to see things fully, we need to change our position. We need to move. You see, what you see will depend on where you sit. That's true in this room, isn't it? Uh, Imagine being at the theatre and sitting behind a tall man, maybe Peter Rawlinson here, and he's decided to wear his top hat, Not only that, he's got a feather stuck in. You're going to want to move, aren't you? So that you can get a fuller view. Not of his hat, but of what's going on on the stage. What I want to suggest to you is that it's very easy for us to get an incomplete view of situations and of people unless we shift our position. Sometimes where we're sat is not enough for us to be able to see things fully. You probably think you know me quite well. Or some of you probably don't think you know me well because it's the first time I've been in the room. But there are some of you in this room who have known me for a long time and you probably think you know know me quite well. I just want to tell you, you don't actually. (laughs) You don't really. Um, I'm struggling to know myself sometimes. Uh, You know, it takes a lifetime to get to know yourself. And if you you have a, a marriage partner or whatever, it takes a lifetime to get to know them as well. And certainly... Even good friends, it still takes a lifetime to get to know them. And it's very easy for us to think we know people when we barely know them at all. It's it's just the nature of things. It's not a problem as long as we understand that and we always understand there's something more to know about people. You know, we see people on television. It might be a politician giving a particular point of view or a celebrity in some reality show. And we watch, you know, for a couple of minutes. We've got them summed up. We know what they're like. We've got our assessment of that person and clearly that's nonsense and yet we so easily uh, slip into that. I suppose that's kind of understandable, you people you just see on the TV or fleetingly, but we do the same thing with the people around us. It's very easy to sum people up and think you know them when in fact you don't know them at all. I mean, it's just fairly obvious why that's a problem if our if our opinions of people or impressions of people are negative ones it doesn't take much to think that through and think well maybe that's not a good thing sometimes even just falling to a positive um, assumption about people can be equally unhelpful you can look at somebody and think well they've got it all together whereas actually they're crying out for somebody to put their arm around them and to to say "How how are you you know so it's not just that we make negative assumptions about one another we can make erroneous, positive assumptions about one another as well. And it's just really important that we're aware of it. We can just be totally oblivious of where people are at. You know, it's not really possible to get to know somebody unless you take time to be with them. It's the only way I know of really getting to know somebody. And even if that's just going and sitting with them for a couple of minutes and and saying, how are you? And talking to one another me Mark was Mark Lawrence when he preached a couple of weeks around the table, I think was hitting on this particular point that it 's as we come together, particularly around a table that it gives us the time and the opportunity to really get to know one another so there's, we can get a different view of things by moving our position, but we physically I mean, but we can also do it in our mindset as well. Um, one of the ways we sometimes need to change our position is to change the stories that we tell ourselves about situations or the stories we tell ourselves about people. You know, we have all have life experience, no matter how young we are. We all have life experience and those experiences of life affect us in different way. And um, we can't change the past. We can't change what's actually happened to us and what we've been through. But the stories or the narratives we tell ourselves about those things are within our control. By which I do not mean we start to make up things as if, you know, we live in a fairy tale land. I'm not saying that. But sometimes we tell ourselves negative stories about ourselves. And we paint a picture of ourselves that probably our friends wouldn't recognize, and certainly Jesus doesn't recognize at all. Now, it's very easy. For us to paint those negative pictures of ourselves. But we also do it about each other. There's a saying, isn't there? Once bitten, twice shy. And I, there's a, that's a kind of survival instinct, I suppose, that I guess is somehow built into human nature. But it doesn't always serve us well. Because sometimes our first experience of somebody, or an experience of somebody, is not representative of who they are. And as I say, it certainly isn't representative of how Jesus sees them. You've heard this kind of thing before, but ask yourself the question when when you're down on yourself. Well, how does Jesus see me? And when you're feeling a bit down on those around you, ask the question, well, how does Jesus see that person? I guess when it comes to the stories we tell ourselves, a helpful question can be to, to kind of gauge, is this helpful or not? Is to say, does this story help me or does this story hinder me? personally, but also my relationship with this person. Does this story help me or does this story hinder me? So my first point in learning to see well um, is that to see well you need to think about your position. You need to think about your physical position. That can mean going and seeing somebody, eating with somebody, sitting, walking with somebody, spending time with them. So in a very literal sense, but in a figurative sense as well, think about the way you see things, and ask yourself whether you need to change your point of view. Going back to the story in Mark, um, just reading from the end of verse 23, Jesus, after he's uh, spit on the man, interestingly, and pray from the first time, he says, "Do you see anything?" And the man looked up and he said, "Well, I see people, but they look like trees walking." And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Do you ever wonder what was going on there? Why couldn't Jesus perhaps that's the wrong word, why didn't Jesus heal him in one go? I'm pretty sure it was in his capacity to do it. It seems strange. I mean every other time I can think of there being an account of Jesus healing or or anything. It just happened on the first shot, you know. And yet in this case, he did it twice. I don't know why it took two goes, but it does Teach me something about seeing. And it teaches me that it's possible to see without really seeing very well at all. Because this man could see people, but to him they look like trees. I don't know what he thought trees looked like. But anyway, to him they look like trees walking. I mean, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise. Well, here's a quiz question for you, holding my own here. What percentage of the general population um, this, I guess this is a UK figure. Do you think wear glasses or contact lenses? There may be one or two monocles thrown in there as well. But it's from four years up to the oldest one amongst us, so that's including children. What percentage of the population do you think wear something like this? Thirty-one. I googled it, and that's not a cue for all of you to start googling now. Sixty percent, over sixty percent, over sixty percent of the from four years up. 60% of the population wear some sort of corrective eye-seeing device. <laughs> so we can think, well, okay, so perhaps that's not so strange to us that we don't see things clearly because a lot of us are used to, to wearing something to help us see clearly. And the point I want to make is that whether you wear glasses, most of my contemporaries, I think, are wearing, well, Brendan's not wearing but Whether you wear glasses or lenses or not, actually... <laughs> What did I say? Oh! Sneak sneak those on, okay. Sorry, I thought I said something silly then. Um, It wouldn't be the first time. Uh, Whether you wear glasses or not, uh, we all see through lenses. And I'm not talking about the lenses in our eyes, okay, for the medical ones right here. We all see lenses through lenses because what we see is affected by um, our experiences. Those lenses that we see through are not only glass and plastic ones. They can be a whole load of things. Uh, Preconception. That's a lens that we see through. Previous experience affects how we see things. Prejudice. That affects, and I'm sure if we thought about it, we could come up with others. And there are all those words, previous experience, preconception, prejudice, prejudice. They're all things that are rooted in our past and rooted in our experience. And as I said earlier, we all have experiences and we've learned from them, good and bad. They've helped us to form the opinions that are important to us, the judgments that we make all the time. And some of those things are good. I mean, uh, I um, have an experience of um, eating most of a catering-sized can of pineapple rings when I was a teenager. It's a previous experience. I now have a prejudicial view, excuse me, of kind of catering sized tins of any fruit, to be honest. Um, and I've kind of made a mental note to not do that again. Uh, it's not an experience I want to repeat. So some of the experiences we go through, actually, they're helpful to us. And we, we get some wisdom, uh, hopefully, as a result of them. I mean, I do eat fruit, still eat fruit. And I will even eat. It took quite a few years, but I will eat tin pineapple now, if thrust upon me. But um, not all the experiences we have, though, are kind of like that. So, uh, I mean, for example, if you, you know, I struggled with giving examples of this because I didn't want to be too narrow and I didn't want to kind of highlight anybody. Um, but, you know, a let's say a boss can let you down. And then the next boss comes along and you're already... Prejudice towards bosses in general because of what the first one was like. Or it might not be different people. It might be just a person has said or done something which has hurt you in some way, and it really has hurt you in some way. That's going to affect your next encounter with that person. And yet what happened may have been an aberration or a one-off or there may have been something completely understandable in the fact that that person was as unhelpful or unkind as they were. What I'm trying to say is we can learn from our experiences, but our experiences are not always a good master. We have to understand that we see the world through these, if I call them these lenses, these lenses that we accumulate over time, depending on the life experiences that we have. Um, you know, and, and when you think of that, on top of that, we've got all sorts of ideas and opinions as well that we pick up through our lives. Um, yeah, so as a result we will come across a person and we've summed them up within a minute I mean, we we know that's a problem um, in terms of all sorts of discrimination Um, and whilst none of us might feel that we are the discriminatory sort um, and yet in one sense we all are because we see things in a particular way. We see things through lenses and we can't help it, but we can be aware of it. And if we are aware of it, we can counter that effect in all sorts of different ways. For this man who saw the trees sorry, saw people as trees walking for him, it was a touch, a second touch from Jesus. And the point is Jesus didn't want to leave him in that condition. Jesus didn't say, Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> he wanted to see this man to be seen clearly, and God wants us to be allowed to see him clearly. And I think there's a similar thing for us. We need to allow Jesus to place his hands upon us again and again. And again, and again. Because he does want to heal us from our past experiences. And those memories that affect the way we see. So I, I like to be practical. So the first thing about that is be aware of your lenses. But then sometimes we just actually need to do something about it. This man had a one-off experience. He was prayed for by Jesus. I, it reminds me of the story of Ananias where, uh, of Paul when Ananias prayed for him and something like scales fell from his eyes. And sometimes there's, there are times... With the Lord where there's a breakthrough, there's a healing, there's something that happens in a moment that changes us physically but also changes us in terms of the way we see things. For this man to have Jesus place his hands upon him, he needed to be close and that too is something we need. We need to stay close so Jesus can, as it were, physically touch us, he can physically put his arm around us. We need to forever go on forging a deeper relationship with him. It speaks to me of our prayer life, but I I almost hesitate to say that because I don't mean just praying. I mean our life of relationship with Jesus, which is our prayer life. It's our ongoing, everyday relationship with him. Pressing closer, pressing deeper as Marcus was leading us this morning. And also soaking yourself in the word. It's not about reading the Bible every day. It's about soaking yourself in the word, doing whatever it takes to soak yourself, soak yourself, soak yourself, because the word of God is transformative. It will change you. It changes me. It changes all of us. And that will change the way we see. So my second point about learning to see clearly is to allow Jesus to touch you. And you'll need to get close to him for him to do that. He knows how you see things and he wants to give you new lenses. So my third and final point from this story is verse 26. Just at the very end of the story, Jesus sends the man home and he says to him, do not even enter the village. I wonder why. He let him out of the village and healed him and then he says, go home, but don't go to the village. It just makes me really curious, it doesn't tell us, doesn't give any hint really, well, Again, I just think, there were, for me, there were things that Jesus just didn't want this man to see. Or there were things that Jesus wanted this man to avoid, if I can put it that way. There were things that were not going to be helpful to him. He said, just, just go home, skip the village, go home. And when I was thinking and, and praying about this particular aspect, it reminded me of um, one of the Beatitudes. So this is my, my last quiz question for you. Kind of start a Beatitude. I want to see if you can finish it. Blessed are the pure in heart. Maybe you can see where I'm going with this. <laughs> it re- really reminded me of this verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And if you, if you uh, cross-reference, there are a number of other verses which link these two things together. Purity of heart and seeing God. The only thing about that verse is, I then end up asking the question, where will I see God? I'm like, what was I talking about? I mean, at one time I would have thought, well, I'll see God in heaven. Because I guess I will at the end of this physical existence. But I think there's much more to it than that. And I think there are probably many answers to that question in terms of the more you think about it, the more ways you think about the way you see God. But the way it particularly spoke to me is, I think it's the, the, the purer the pure my heart, and I'll explain that in a moment, the more I see God in you. The more I'm likely to see God in the people around me. My heart condition affects the extent to which, to which I do or don't see God in you. God is in you. God is in every human. We're all created in his likeness. And obviously if if you're a person. Who's also got a relationship with him. There's there's often a. There's an extra added. Well not just the extra dimension. Multiple dimensions to that. But God is in every person. But to what extent do I see. God in other people. God wants me to see. Himself in other people. And I believe. One of the keys to that is that we guard our hearts, we keep our hearts pure. It depends upon our heart condition. If I'm a person who is full of bitterness, um, I don't know, grumpiness, I don't want to use too many extreme words because if I use an extreme word, we all automatically say, well, that's not me. So fill in the blanks for yourself. You know, um, irrit- irritability, whatever it may be then that's going to affect the extent to which I see Jesus in you. Whereas if I'm, you know, pressing into my relationship with him and despite all my inadequacies, nevertheless he's doing something in me, he's changing me, there's far more likelihood I'm going to experience God in you and God in my colleagues at work or, my God, or God in the, the person I bump into in the street or the person I see on the TV or, or whatever it might be. So, I believe that for us to build well together, we need to see well. And that means, in particular, we need to see each other well. It extends beyond ourselves to all the people we ever meet. But for us as a church family in particular, for you as an individual now, the way you see people is going to affect you and will most definitely affect your relationship with them and if god is calling us to build together and i believe he is then we need to do whatever is necessary in ourselves to see well to see each other well to see god in each other so that we can embrace this task of of building together he's called us to so in summary think about how you position yourself physically you know maybe go and talk to somebody those things help us to get to know people better Maybe invite them round to your house. Whatever it might be, do something, move, change your view. And the same in the way you see things, the stories you tell yourself, maybe you need to change your view. Secondly, beware of lenses. We all have them, and it affects the way we see people around us. So allow Jesus to touch you a second time, a third time, a fourth time, because he will... He's the one that can heal your seeing, your sight, your lenses. And lastly, look after your heart. Keep it pure. Keep it well. Learn to live well and live whole because it will enable us to see God in other people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.